What's up, bikers? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Bar Podcast live stream. Still saying that because that's what I'm doing today. Anyways, today's episode is 159. So, man, that is crazy. I read this thing just recently where it said if you had over 100 episodes, you're in the top 1% of podcasts. So that's pretty sweet. And every time I swing by Apple Podcasts, you guys are writing some new reviews, and that's awesome. Anybody that has thought about it but doesn't but hasn't done it yet, swing by over there and write a five-star review. It somehow like intrigues the podcast algorithm and um, makes more people know about it. So that would be rad if you had time to do that. Otherwise, I appreciate all you, especially those of you on, on Patreon. I got a new new Patreon just the other day. So I need to get off of this podcast and write them a letter and get that sticker pack sent out so if you're interested in helping support the channel it would be great if if you um if you did that because this is totally grassroots it's just me i'm not you know some big sponsored guy still working a regular job and uh every every little bit of support really helps this this channel go further as well as the biker channel as well so Really appreciate everybody over there. It means a lot every time I, I see somebody new pop up on there. So thank you all and really, truly appreciate everybody on Patreon. Outside of that, you want something free, swing by Facebook or Instagram. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the thumbs up and all those things, right? Trick that algorithm too while you're at it. Anyways, we'll go ahead and bring Thomas and Chris on from Freedom Coast and uh, Better Bolts. How's it going, guys? Hey, Robert, how are you? Not bad, man. Just living the dream here, right? Uh, fortunately, this week it's not like the we're not so close to the sun as we were last week. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's manageable now, right? Yeah, yeah. So you guys are down in LA. We're in uh, Orange County, so Rancho Santa Margarita, specifically, kind of South Orange County. So, for people that aren't familiar with California, where is Al Orange County in comparison to like LA? Orange County is just south of L.A. It's basically sandwiched in between L.A. and San Diego counties. Got it. So got right it. Okay. In, right so, in the middle. So like where Irvine is and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. about 15 minutes south of Irvine. Right on. I, I used to have an office down there at a place that I worked at, and I would go, and I never got to ride, but I saw there were some like really cool trail systems like right by Irvine, but closer to the coast. Yeah, we kind of we're kind of right in the middle of all that. So we're by the Luge, which is a popular trail. Uh, Laguna uh -huh. and Aliso are really popular. That's about 15 minutes from us. And then San Clemente has kind of popped up in the last couple of years. Uh, another popular right spot to ride is 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And then you also, I mean, you get the ability to like pop over to Sedona pretty easily. And San Diego's got a lot of good riding too. I had a friend that uh, would always talk about Noble Canyon down there being just super, super rad. Yeah, definitely awesome. And industry-wise, like we're between a lot of motocross um, and cycling businesses are kind of centered here. So a lot of Shimano employees are in the area, a bunch of different big brands, Troy Lee's in the area. So it's a good, good place to be located. How'd you guys get into riding? Uh, I got into riding kind of coming over from motocross, you know, was turning 17, 18, getting kind of sick of spending my weekend at the track, you know, driving away from where we live to uh, inland where it's hotter and uh, started getting into mountain biking and realizing all the trails and you know, parks were starting to open up in our area, like Summit and Bear, and kind of got into it that way. So, what about you, Chris? Yeah, I just grew up being a normal kid, riding BMX and, you know, digging dirt jumps anywhere we could and, and being outside till it was dark out. And that's how I kind of got into biking. I didn't mountain bike again until I was 
about 20 and we yeah. moved we moved to Aliso Viejo like and so I could ride my bike to the trail every day and and kind of fell in love with it and and um just kind of really I've always been interested in like the, t the technical aspects of it so I uh, was always intrigued by how the industry was changing and, and the new products coming out and all that stuff. So that was kind of, it was kind of a cool sport for me because I got to go get exercise and, and push myself on a trail, but also like take the bike apart and do things like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, it struck me when you said that being a normal kid riding bike and I was like, man, is that normal anymore? <laughs> yeah. Like I don't think it is. I mean, I have two boys and like they're just now starting to like actually go off and do what we did when we were kids, which was not tell our parents where we yeah. were or when we were coming home or anything. And, and so, yeah, it's, there's, it's, it goes both ways, I guess, you know, right. Right. There's a lot of distractions for them, but, but I think once you get them going outside and get them riding and get them interested in it, then the kids are awesome. I mean, we sponsor, the Laguna Canyon riders and that's mm -hmm. a bunch of I think junior high and high school age kids yep, yep. and those kids ride almost every day yeah and they, and they they're they get good really fast and so yeah. it's fun to see so. where we see like a lack of number of kids participating the the quality of the riding that's coming out of everywhere in the U.S. where they didn't have to learn all these things that we learned or you know, yeah. they're riding with disc brakes to start or dropper posts. Even one of our employees is 22 and like he's never ridden bikes when a dropper post didn't exist. And it, it's kind of yeah. unknown to us. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He doesn't know the pain. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of a, in some aspects, yeah, totally different and probably less accessible or, or harder for kids to get into because they, they have so many other options, but then, on the other hand, like the school programs and things of that nature are definitely, uh, definitely a lot better than they used to be back in the day. So what's your, uh, what's your background? What, what do you guys do before you started uh, your own companies? Yeah. So I started out of college working at the Enthusiast Network. So they owned bike mag, canoe and kayak, surfer, surfing, and kind of got into the action sports industry that ways, but more on the helping them transition their revenue from print to digital. And I worked in uh, the kind of like software side of things for them and mm -hmm. monetizing the website, um, worked in technology from there. And four years ago, kind of decided to jump into uh, starting my own business and learned everything I could about kind of titanium and that side of things. I saw it on the motocross side. I saw some companies doing it really well there. Um, decided to start my own bike company four years ago and kind of better bolts is what I landed on. And then uh -huh. uh, I'll, I'll let Chris kind of share his background and, and how he got into, into starting this as well. Yeah. So my background is a little bit more on the manufacturing side. Um, I helped a friend of mine grow his machine shop from three machines to 26 machines. And oh, so wow. uh, I was the operations manager for that machine shop, uh, managing day-to-day -day operations um, for that. And we were doing some pretty high-end aerospace and defense work. So that's kind of always been in my background. Like I said, I like to take the bikes apart and tinker and things like that. So while I was doing that, I always spent some time uh, making stuff for myself, whether it was a stem or, or pedals or whatever it was. 
I always wanted to do something uh, to just kind of make cool stuff for me and my friends. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of turned into Freedom Coast. So Thomas started Better Bolts and, and Chris started Freedom Coast. And then somehow along, you guys like were pumping gas at the same place. And Yeah, like a, <laughs> a year and a half ago, we connected through some mutual friends. And I was kind of hopping around different machine shops and getting things made. And um, Chris was making things and was needing to sell them on the internet and stand up the business side. So we kind of found this perfect partnership where Chris could take over the manufacturing and help out uh, with bringing Better Bolts in-house. And then I could help out with you know, taking all the mistakes I learned starting Better Bolts as an e-commerce company and applying those directly into Freedom Coast. So it's kind of a perfect partnership. And we just, you know, shook hands 50-50 and kind of started both businesses. And you'll you'll see this Boost uh, manufacturing logo on our shirts, then Better Bolts and Freedom Coast under it. So that's kind of the parent company that we started to house these two brands. Both brands operate underneath that. Um, with all these machines and with Chris's aerospace experience, we decided that we needed to have kind of a parent company for if we want to run aerospace parts, you know, we can't say, oh, we're this bike brand that's going to run aerospace parts for you. So that's where the, the boost side of things comes in. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, I was wondering that where the like where the distinction was with, with all the, the different um, names. So I wasn't sure if like was there plans to like make Freedom Coast and Better Bolts just like one entity or but sounds like as it is separate. Yes. Yeah, we're trying not to get stuck on on names and things like that. You know, like, yeah, I don't know if, if other people think about starting businesses or things like that, but I've, it's always been in my head and you always spend a year thinking about what the perfect name is. I know, like, even when mm -hmm. you did your interview with uh, with Push, right, he was like, it took him how, what would you say, a year or two to figure out to call it <laughs> Push Industries. And so, yeah. Um, I didn't want to get caught up on that. So I'm not really too concerned about what the names are. Um, yeah. But like Thomas said, like Thomas does everything. He's so good at everything that I don't want to do. And uh -huh. so it, it ends up being like this amazing thing where it's like, hey, here's a guy who's super talented on the computer and can handle all that stuff that that is like last on my list. Yeah. Uh, and then I can take some worries off of him and, and not have to have him worry about about manufacturing or, or operations and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it kind of just all fell into place to be honest. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's a good partnership. I mean, basically I always like, I, I used to have a, an employee at another place that I worked at that him and I kind of worked in that same aspect where it was like, he was the super techie guy and he could, you know, read the manuals and I'd get like a sentence into something like that and be like, I'm over it, you know? And so it was really good to use people's strength where, where they're at. So, um, so what is it that you do at better bolts? And then we can, we can go from there. Yeah. So at better bolts, we manufacture titanium hardware. We have some aluminum pieces as well. Uh, we also manufacture a couple parts out of stainless steel as well, but main focus is titanium fasteners um, that replace the aluminum and steel fasteners on uh, you know, that come OEM on a, on a bike. And yeah, we started that four years ago and it's just kind of, we've listened to our customers of what's happening in the industry, what bike, what bike bolts are failing and we've produced those. So we have a big standard lineup. And then if you look at like specialized Santa Cruz, those brands, we offer basically every single bolt for one of those bikes. So working with better bolts, our customers reach out to us. They either shop our site using our filters. Uh, we're mainly direct to consumer. So it's kind of what I'm talking mm -hmm. directly how our consumers interact with us, 
or mm-hmm. if they reach out to our support team and we, we kind of know what goes on every bike. Uh, we get a lot of feedback from customers like, why don't you just have a kid on the site that's a Santa Cruz Bronson for, you know, X01 build and the bolts can really change from bike to bike to bike and it makes maintaining the website very difficult. So we kind of yeah. focus more on the customer service aspect of that. So we have an awesome staff here. We build out the package, send you an invoice, you pay, it ships the next day. So uh, that's kind of you know how we interact direct to consumer. And then we also have an, an OE side of our business. Uh, some brands run into issues where they need to order 10,000 of a bolt um, for new frame production and 10,000 gets them to the cost that they need to you know, run their business. Mm-hmm. That bolt fails. So uh, some OE brands do reach out to us and we supply um, OE hardware, whether it's when the bike comes and they don't want to deal with hardware, we have a lot of experience in that front. Or mm-hmm. it's run into an issue, we can supply stuff in, in two to three weeks at a lower volume to kind of um, get them back on their feet and, and fulfill warranties or whatever that might be. What made you What made you decide, because it sounded like you were like thinking about ideas of what kind of business you could start. Why were you like, yeah, bolts, that sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> I was actually, um, I was on a trip in Whistler uh, with, it was Transworld Motocross at the time and Jeremy McGrath was on the, on that trip. And we were talking about titanium bolts and sourcing them and, you know, trying to find um, bolts was really difficult. And you could really only find like M5 and M6 bolts to do maybe your stem and your rotors and your calipers. And Jeremy mentioned that, oh, you guys used to steal all my bolts when I was on, you know, factory Kawasaki or factory Honda. And all of a sudden all my friends would have tie bolts on their, you know, their bikes. And it was from my, you know, race bikes. Um, And so that kind of sparked an idea and I, you know, went home and went to some local machine shops where I live and started understanding what it takes, uh, you know, manufacturing on Swiss, Swiss machines, uh, reaching out to my contacts in the motocross industry and understanding materials. Um, and it just seemed like, you know, I, I'd gone to Sea Otter, I'd gone to Sedona Mountain Bike Fest. Nobody was focusing on bolts. Um, there were a lot of wheel companies. There were a lot of bike rack companies and, um, but nobody really focusing on the thing that holds everything together. Also, I love taking things apart. Um, when I would, I would specifically buy Santa Cruz bikes because you can really take those bikes apart a bunch of times and put them back together a bunch of times and leave them running really, really good. Where some of the other brands on the market, you pull a bolt out and you're, you're not really sure if you ever want to do that again, because maybe it wasn't <laughs> the right, you know, bolt for that, that design, or it's just uh, difficult yeah. to get back together. You feel like you're going to strip it. The materials aren't great. So I just saw kind of a need within the market for one company to focus on that. Mm-hmm. What was the reason like that you would want a titanium bolt for people that maybe are just like, I don't, I don't really know why I would want to replace the bolts. Yeah. So titanium has a similar strength um, to steel, but is uh, much, much stronger than aluminum. So when we go through a bike, we can replace steel bolts and save half the weight. And then we can improve the quality of the bolts by changing out the aluminum to titanium to where it doesn't round out. Um, so that was kind of the, the benefit that I saw was you still got the strength, you could reduce some weight and you could improve the quality of the bolts. There's also some awesome color that you can add to your bike. And when you do a couple bolts on a bike, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize how bad all my other bolts looked. Um, so we mm-hmm. brought PVD coating in, um, kind of from golf. It's a very popular coloring process. It's actually, a what thing is it called? It's called PVD. So it's not it's, like anodizing or it's not or, anodizing. So yeah. anodizing is it can be good for um, small batches. So if you're just coating one frame or a couple fasteners, but in bulk, 
um, so many things can impact the color of the, the titanium. And so if we sell somebody a bolt, you know, today and then sell them another bolt six months from now, the color could drastically change. Also to achieve good colors, you need to etch the material and etching we noticed in our testing was bringing down the quality of the material, making it porous at the surface. So we've just mm -hmm. opted to not um, anodize titanium. There's other companies that do do it. We just recommend that you, you ask them if it's etched or not and try to get yeah. you know, titanium anodizing that's not etched. Our colors also don't fade in the sun and they add strength to the product. Um, there's another portion of using titanium where people are always concerned about galling. That PVD coating completely removes any galling. So we'll still What's sell. Galling, galling is uh, where the titanium will interact with the aluminum and corrode a little bit and, and bind up. So if you're using yeah, raw yeah, titanium okay. on a frame, you want to use some type of grease or anti-seize. Um, so yeah. the PVD, we still recommend greasing your bolts or using anti-seize or Loctite uh, works as well for to resist galling. But um, the, the titanium and PVD coating really solves for that. Uh, it's also consistent batch to batch to batch. So a gold bolt that we colored four years ago matches a gold bolt that we color next week, which is which is really nice. What's, what's different about that process than, than like anodizing? Yeah, so anodizing, um, it's different than aluminum anodizing for titanium anodizing. Aluminum is more of a dye. Um, mm -hmm. Unless you're hard anodizing, then that is a coat. Uh, when it comes to titanium anodizing, uh, you put electrolytes into the water, you charge the water to a certain voltage, and mm -hmm. that's where you can put in a piece, ch change the voltage and see it kind of change colors. The way they mm -hmm. achieve like rainbow, rainbow in that is they pull it out as they're changing the voltage. Um, oh, okay. PVD actually hangs in a machine and it sprays a thin coat onto the bolts, much thinner than like a powder coat or a uh, Cerakote. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's one micron thick, so it doesn't impact threads, doesn't chip. Uh, but yeah, if you look at like some of our black bolts, you'll see one little wire mark where it's not colored. Uh, all the other colors, you can't really see it, but that's how we hang the bolts in the PVD fixturing. Interesting. Yeah. So it doesn't chip though. You can't like really, you can't scratch it off or it's no, just no. like. It's, it's on there really good. Um, it's also used a lot in like high-end hotels for door handles and such. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, kind of it's, it's also like six times the cost of anodizing. That's uh, what I was guessing. Cause I would, my, I was going to ask you like, so why is not everybody doing that? You know? Yeah. And it's, you, it's you answered my question with what I was already kind of working out in my head. <laughs> yeah. And the cost is mainly from labor with anodizing. You can just dunk everything at once with PVD. You have to individually hang each bolt on a wire. Yeah. So there's different fixturing for that. And that's very yeah. time consuming with, with labor there. How about you, Chris, whenever you decided to, to jump ship out of the, uh, the, the defense world and why, why did you decide to start doing some bike stuff? Um, you know what, like once, once you start, uh, you know, I was, I was like director of operations for this shop. Right. And, and once mm -hmm. you kind of see how everything works, um, you know, like when you first get it, when you're a kid and you get into a business and you start learning everything about it, um, you're seeing one side of it and you're like, you know, like, oh, this is cool. We get to make stuff. And then you, and you kind of put all the pictures or all the pieces together for the big picture. And I'm like, I was always like, man, this is really cool. Like, we, like bars of material come in and, and, you know, F-35 fighter jet parts come out. Like, it's yeah. really, it's a really cool thing to be a part of. Um, but I always loved building the team. Like, it was all about the guys that, that I worked with and, and not so much about, like, the actual machining of the part that was that w was what i was passionate about um 
And so for me, I was always like, man, this could, you know, once you see that whole piece, it's like, I want to make parts for myself. Like, I don't want want to make parts for somebody else. Um, And so that was kind of the driving factor for me was, um, hey, I want to, I want to develop some things that, that I want to use and then go make them. And and hopefully other people like what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just kind of a side gig for a while. And, and eventually, you know, people started hearing about it and, and, you know, orders started coming in and all that stuff. And, and it just kind of like organically happened. And it was just, mm-hmm. you know, word of mouth and friends telling friends and, um, but I think that all boils down to, you know, one of the things that me and Thomas had in common when we first met was, was quality had to be first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's evident in, in better bolts. You know, we, we go through a lot of effort to make sure that our bolts are the best mm-hmm. and, you know, wh- whether that's, uh, uh, the coding like you guys were talking about, or another example would be how we roll all of our threads. So there's different ways to make threads. You can cut threads or you can roll them. Uh, rolling is a more, ex- it's a bigger investment because you need specific tooling for each thread size. Um, so it's, it's quite a big investment up front, but it, it creates a better product. A rolled thread ha- has no sharp edges. Uh, it's consistent from part to part. Um, and and it makes a big difference once you, if you actually held up two bolts side by side, you would see and you'd feel the difference too as you threaded them. Um, so it gives us a stronger product, but that's that's a business decision that we made is, hey, we're going to spend money on this to do them the right way and to set us set us apart. Um, so so people understand, I'm, I have a little bit of experience with thread just from printing stuff. And... Um, the tolerance in between the thread that you're going into and the thread that you're that's on your bolt is like really small. What kind of space are we talking about? Uh, I mean, it varies from different sizes of threads. You know, the bigger the thread gets, the bigger the tolerance is obviously. Um, But we hold all of our threads to about plus or minus two thou. Yeah. Um, And then there's some, some special cases where we're holding a couple tenths, and that's mainly for like a, sh- a shoulder bolt or something like that, where it fits into somebody's frame yeah, uh, and, and needs to be a specific size. So when you say thou, is it thousandth of an inch? Or yeah, thousandth of an inch. Thousandth of an inch um, <laughs> so it'd be 0.002. That's what we're holding. Yeah. Just so, so people can kind of like put it together. Because, you know, it's not something I ever even thought about before I started printing and I was like, Oh, I wanted something to screw into something. And then all of a sudden I'm like, what do you mean there's space in between? Like, and then like, even if the end of that thread is like flat or pointed or, you know, rounded off or something like that. So it's really interesting to, to like kind of dive into that world a little bit. When you started Freedom Coast, what, what was your first product? Uh, our first product was the rack. Uh, mm-hmm. You can see right there, there's one. Um, so we have a, we have a rack that's a full bike rack and it was me and an engineering buddy and we wanted a better way to, uh, you know, our bikes were getting banged up and scratched and dinged, throwing it over the tailgate of the truck. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, our bikes now are, are so expensive and, and I hate to have this really nice bike and all the, all the damage from the bike is from transportation. And so mm-hmm. we kind of just tinkered and we tore apart some other companies racks and made like this ugly monster rack uh 
and tested it for a while and and people would just come up to us at the trails and be like hey how, where did you get that how did you make it uh can you make me one and mm -hmm. so we that was kind of like the beginning where we were just like man why don't we do some cool machining like we do in aerospace with some some really high-end processes and make this thing look good mm -hmm. um, and so, so that's, that's, a, that's like a hitch rack that you made or uh no it's not a hitch rack we we have plans can i say that we have yeah. plans for a hitch rack <laughs> uh uh but it's, a, it's kind of on the back burner right now we're just trying to keep up and and keep everyone happy with what we have right now mm -hmm. um that was made for a truck bed so we initially uh my buddy had a ford raptor and i have an f-150 and um we were like man it'd be great if we could just take this bike and throw it over the over the thing and it sits almost like moto style in the back of the in the back of the truck and so that's mm -hmm what that was meant to be. Um, as soon as we came out with it, the, all the sprinter van guys kind of took it over. Yeah. And we realized immediately like, Oh wow, this is, this is exactly what sprinter guys need. So we have, uh, inside the sprinter vans, there's, they always use L track in the floors and walls. Mm -hmm. Uh, L track is just an extrusion with, I'm sure you've seen it. It just has like a bunch of holes in it and oh yeah yeah so yeah. that's that's yeah. l track and so, so basically we, though for people that are listening it's the it's like a metal rail that has little little round holes kind of drilled in it every so often you can slide things into it and move them right and left and then tighten yeah. it up and yeah it'll be exactly so where you want it it's how the airplane seats are attached to the airplane as well oh, yeah and, and they can space it like oh at 737 they want this much leg room or this much they can move it back and forth and that's kind of where, where we got yeah so yeah. so l track is was originally a boeing extrusion and the patent has long since expired and that's why everyone uses it um but we actually made the anchors that held the seats in the planes for boeing uh -huh. and they were uh you know they're they're hardened steel they're, they're way much, way more than what we would need for this product so we made a version of that that holds these things into l track and mm -hmm. so we have we have a quick release system that just you uh i think we sent you one where you just turn the knob and that thing mm -hmm. tightens up on l track so you don't need any tools there's no rattling uh we solved a couple problems with that with mounting those and just being able to pull them out whenever you're not using them and the van guys love it so and we both have camper shells on our truck and we find ourselves just kind of leaving a bike back there all the time now uh, it's right. you know, hidden in the camper shell. It's the front wheels off, which it's a bummer taking your front wheel off, but to have your bike secure and not having to pull it in and out of the house every time you go for a ride is it's right. pretty awesome. So basically what the system does is you have this L track that you can mount to the floor of your, your van, or if you wanted to use this in the back of your pickup truck, then you take your wheel off and essentially it's like another, like, like typical racks that people would be familiar with. You just mount it to that, like, like it's like your your axle basically and you put your axle through and then use your quick release and you're good to go right yeah so you're talking about our our fork mounts uh and so the fork mount came after the rack the rack oh, okay so the, the rack, rack didn't use the fork mount system the rack actually uses the adjust adjustable fork mount to mount it in the correct location so uh -huh. as we were developing the rack we, we were like man how are we going to mount this and the, the truck situation is a little different. Every truck is is unique. Some of them have crossbars, some of them don't. Um, so we needed something that was that was adjustable and modular. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's where our adjustable fork mount came from. 
So the mm-hmm. so the rack is actually mounted to an adjustable fork mount. Um, Got it. But okay. once we developed that fork mount, uh, that became our most popular product. Yeah, we went to an mm-hmm. adventure van expo and basically went with like 500 of those things and they were just gone. Um, oh, yeah. So, and it, it allows you, a lot of vans roll into our shop and they're like, okay, I just spent $200,000 on this van and my bikes don't fit. You know, they're yeah. too tall, too short, too far to the left, too far to the right. So we're able to get them like almost fork to fork by making that adjustable fork mount kind of you pull out two bolts, adjust it, rebolt it in, and you can put bikes really close to each other. So a lot of, um, yeah, van people have been coming in we've been, where they've been struggling to fit one bike. We've put four into that space. So, yeah, yeah. I was trying just to, to like build a mental picture of what the different products look like for people that are listening. So the one that's the bike rack that has kind of, are you taking your wheel off at that point and putting it in? No. So the rack is made, Think of the rack as, as like if everyone has a one-up hitch rack, yeah. right? But if you had only half of that, so you captured mm-hmm. one tire, that's mm-hmm. what our rack is. So you can you can take your bike and drop and throw it in the back of your truck and just clamp on the front tire. Yeah, there was the or Thule, front or rear tire. There was the Thule Got Instigator it. as well. So it's similar to that product, but CNC machined and much more. Uh, yeah, I think explaining the one-up, it's probably really that, that that like paints a really good picture of how, how it works. Because obviously, like you don't need to have your back tire fixed to the bed of your truck. You really no. just want your, your bike to like sit in there and no, exactly. like, They're stay not going in place. Yeah. Right. You can yeah, put yeah. your rear tire into the rack as well. Yeah, either so tire. Or you can capture front or rear. So that's a lot of the Springer vans have beds, so they have to fork mount. But for yeah. somebody that doesn't have a bed in their sprinter and it's just open, they can put four of these in and not take wheels off and roll them in and cinch them down. Right. So how does the bike rack then fit into the truck then if you're like, how does it fix in there? It depends on the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, like so F-150s all have some factory brackets mm-hmm. that are about halfway up on the front bulkhead of the inside of your bed. Yeah, and so there's companies that make crossbars for that. Uh, Built Right Industries makes a crossbar. I believe mm-hmm. Rocky Mounts makes some sort of a, a crossbar as well. And mm-hmm. our mount, our mounts will mount into that crossbar, mm-hmm. and it actually ends up being like the perfect height. Um, there's other trucks that have similar solutions, like Tacomas and Tundras. Sometimes will have a crossbar in the front, which mm-hmm. is a little high for our product. Um, ideally, you'd want it a little bit lower to the ground. Um, mm-hmm. but we, we're working on solutions for each application. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be honest, like we can't even keep them in stock cause the van guys just buy them and, yeah. and where the truck guys were like, Oh man, this thing's kind of expensive. The van guys are like, we don't uh, even care. You know, they're like, <laughs> yeah, like, Oh, give me three. Like, you know, so, yeah. um, sorry truck guys, but I yeah. mean, we're both truck guys. Um, but it, it's a it's a tough thing to do. It's you kind of got to go where demand is. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, especially where you're at right now in in your business, it's like sell to the people that are buying them faster than I can make them, or cater to the people that aren't. <laughs> so, so I I can totally understand. So, I would assume that at some point you would you would probably build your own cross bar kind of situation. Yeah, we like have the Toyota thing like right away in my head. I'm like, oh, I could just manufacture something that would bolt to that, but then put my fork mount lower. And then that would kind of put me in the spot where I want it to be. Yeah. I mean, the easy solution is just is bolt some L-Track to your bed. But yeah. there's a lot of guys out there who would never drill a hole in their truck 
Um, yeah. Yeah. So on our trucks, we just drilled riv riv nutted the inserts. They're threaded inserts. So if you take the L track out, you just have you know six threaded inserts across your bed. But uh, nice. yeah, so we, we kind of that's how we did it in our personal trucks. Yeah, it's actually now that I have L track in my truck, I'm, I'm like, man, I wouldn't even know what to do without all this L track in here because we <laughs> we literally mount everything to it. You know, yeah. Uh, we have the, those those uh, fridges. Yeah, you know, if we go off roading, uh, we're strapping stuff down to it, a toolbox or whatever it is, because there's so many accessories for L track. Put loops yeah. on, throw a tie down strap over. So yeah, having L track in a in a truck bed is pretty awesome. We actually used a hashtag at one point that was like, "Be a man, drill your bed." Uh, yeah, you know, get over yeah, that fear and, and just jump in. Yeah, it's really interesting what you were saying about the damage on your bike just from from throwing on the, the tailgate. And honestly, I I, I have an F one fifty as well. And that's the first time I've ever had a, a pickup truck. So like before I always use, you know, some kind of a hitch rack or a roof rack on whatever my vehicle was. And at the end of the day, like once I've had a truck now, it's like, yeah, I'm never gonna not have a truck because you realize like how how useful it is, at least for my lifestyle. And and man, you know, shuttling or whatever, it's just like so easy just to like throw six bikes over the, the tailgate. But um, the bike that I've had now for the last couple of years, if you look at it, it's just like a lot of abuse from from the vehicles, you know, like yeah. you're saying, like, like my fork, all the anodizing is like rubbed off of the fork. And I actually made a biker koozie. It's like a slap koozie. But realistically... I didn't really ever use it for beer because I don't really care about koozies, but you can put those on your fork or like on your stanchion or on your frame when you're shuttling and it keeps your frame and your stanchion from being scratched up. And so it's like, yeah. you know, coming up with ways to try to keep the, the bike from being damaged. And even with that, it's still like, man, it is a lot of abuse. So I can see where the product really um, speaks to a lot of people in that way, but at the end of the day, the van life thing, it sounds like it's just, I, every, everybody's into it, right? Yeah. And the truck beds have been changing as well, making the tailgate pad less desirable, in my opinion. Like, um, you know, five, 10 years ago, the truck beds were, were skinny and the bikes actually fit pretty well on there. Now they're putting so much technology in the, in the tailgate that it's getting wider and wider. And it's actually yeah. dense the tailgate as well. Like if you pull your pad off you'll probably see little marks from the stanchions on your tailgate yeah so. and the f-150 is aluminum right yeah. so my tailgate has a bunch of dings in it even though i use the a tailgate pad yeah and, you know i'm not to say that like a scratch on your bike is the worst thing in the world and that's not why i'm not saying we started a company so you didn't get scratches on your bike but uh right. but at the end of the day like i mean i've scratched stanchions and things like that where now you have to go get that thing repaired because it, yeah. it it leaks oil and and so you just want to protect you know your investment and and the things that you yeah. like to do so yeah yeah I mean good point about the tailgate I know like the new F one fifty for example I have a an older one mine's a twenty thirteen and um, the new new style though it's so thick in the middle you you really can't even throw a bike over it without like it just wobbling all over like you'd have to strap it to one of the other bikes to keep it from just bouncing everywhere yeah exactly yeah kind of kind of a bummer it's like one of those things where i'm like are none of these guys at this truck company like nobody rides bikes nobody in there was like hey guys this is fucked up you know <laughs> like yeah i know they need some consultants to come in or something 
right right they're like yeah whatever this but yeah if you if like the old ones are so simple right like you, like yeah. your f-150 or the old the old like gen i don't know what it would be gen 2 tacomas where it's like right a nice thin little little tailgate that is it's almost like it was made for a bike to be thrown over it yeah and yeah you were talking about santa cruz earlier and i um i just built a different bike that's not a santa cruz i used to all, all the bikes i've had for a long time were santa cruz and I swear Santa Cruz like designed the their down tube just to fit perfectly in like in a tailgate pad because yeah. I would never have to velcro that thing. It would just like throw it over and just stay exactly where it is. And this yeah, new bike yeah, same here. I had a Bronson and it was the same thing. And yeah, I think Santa Cruz even came out with that little the little protector pad on the down tube. Yeah, uh, that thing right on. I think they nice were the flat. Yeah, square. they were the first ones to do that to to have that be factory and. Yeah, it was perfect. Uh, and then they started changing trucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And then they ruined it. Right. But yeah, it's definitely um, interesting. I mean, you, you're starting to see that, you know, more and more bike companies are doing the same thing, you know, adding those those parts. So just to try to protect it. So um, from from the bike rack solution, then you decide to kind of get into some other space, like bling, blinging out some uh, levers and stuff. Or did you... Um, yeah, like like we said, you know, it all comes back to like making things that we want to use, mm -hmm. and um, we, there's brands out there like Santa Cruz or, or and some other brands that, you know, we love their product. They make a, a great product, but there's some things that we can do a little bit better. And mm -hmm. um, Santa Cruz does really well with hardware. They they probably have some of the best hardware in the industry. Uh, I think other bike companies could go look at Santa Cruz for for inspiration on that um but but uh there's some other things like like brakes for example uh trp i think makes probably the best breakout right now uh, for at least for like the enduro downhill space um but the lever wasn't perfect for all of us and you know if, if you don't have large hands or if you're not used to riding moto stuff then the levers are kind of straight and far away Mm -hmm. um, and so we saw an opportunity there where um, we made some levers and we brought that that bite point in, you know, about half inch or 12, mil 12 millimeters. And it kind of like transformed the brake into something that everybody could use. Um, yeah, I just recently bought a pair of the, the DHRs and um, the, the guy that at Spartan Rides, it's a shop that I like to use in, down in Arizona. They uh, instantly was like, look, dude you're going to buy these brakes, but I tell you right now, you need these levers. And I was like, yeah, okay, sh sure. Whatever, dude. And like, I'm, I'm spending enough money on this bike. Like right now, it doesn't even matter. Right. And then the next day I was at my local shop and I, I walked in with something else that I was doing. And the guy in the shop's like, dude, this guy's bike just came in with these levers. You got to put your hands on them. And uh, I was like, Oh, what's this? And it's, it was your, your levers. It was the same ones that my other buddy just, just tried to talk me into buying the day before. And as soon as I saw them and put my hand like on, on there, it was like, Oh yeah, this makes sense. You know, like this totally like, yeah, well, thank you. Way yeah. better. <laughs> that means a lot because it's not like we just like sketched out a, a brake lever and, and started making it. It took us quite a while to come up with like the exact shape and the exact um, you know, even the length of like you change the length of a lever one millimeter and it feels like a huge difference. 
So there's a lot of R and D that goes into this stuff. And, you know, we get emails all the, like all day long, like, Hey, do Shimano, do, do Magura or whatever. And it's like, you guys, it takes, you know, like we're working on stuff, but it takes, if you do it right, it takes a year or years to properly develop a product like that. Yeah. And that's, what's really, uh, you know, I'm glad that you touched on that because it was something I wanted to ask was like, how do you even do that? You know, like to me, I'm like, um, if I was going to make one, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to look at the other ones that I like and then try to make it different. Right. And it's, but like you said, you change something just so small and, and it could be garbage, like even the way that it engages or like, I think what you guys nailed with that that one that that I'm using is like the way my finger sits in there for one finger pull is it's just like the perfect position. And as I'm pulling, it's not like some some levers will like they'll feel perfect whenever you're like engaged, but maybe not when you're not engaged. And it's just like it just really feels good all the way around. And and it, it, it I was really truly impressed with it and to see it in person like the attention to detail on the machining you could tell that it it was like oh wow like this is not like hey we came up with an idea we sent to some factory in china and they like molded a billion of them for us and like like you could tell like this thing's like made precisely yeah yeah it is and and thank you for those comments because that that makes us feel good because we spent a lot of time you know, you only touch the bike in a couple locations, you know, your feet, your your butt and your hands. And hopefully that's the only places you're touching the bike on a ride. And um, <laughs> and so it's really important to have your hands, you know, feel correctly. And, um, you know, TRP has a great product. You know, one of our fears is that like TRP is like, oh, let's just change our lever and copy these guys. And well, you know this lever is not the only lever we're developing and it's not the only, it's not the perfect lever for everyone. Um, but it is kind of a sweet spot for most people. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I hope TRP can see that having an aftermarket product for their product, uh, is a benefit to them. Um, yeah. you know, it's the same thing with better bolts. Like there's probably people out there who get upset that we take bolts off their bikes and put different bolts on, but, at the end of the day, we're making a product that is that is as good or better than than the, the part that it's replacing. And we do yeah. see some brands that's, that understand that narrative. We always use Jeeps or Tacomas as the example. Like people buy those cars because there's aftermarket products. But now there's been STEM company or companies launching STEMs in, in the past year or so that have came to us and said, hey, will you just make a kit for our, for our uh, STEM? Here's the specs. Um, and we're like, and we've even said, yeah, We'll make it and let's change this up by two millimeters or this up. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of cool to see that that narrative changing that it is good to have aftermarket stuff for your stuff. Also mentioning that making stuff to fit other people's product takes time as well. Like we don't know the tolerances. We don't have the drawings. Um, so that's another reason why kind of prototyping can take a while. Yeah. I mean, like the levers, you know, we buy a, a lot of sets of TRP brakes and see what their tolerances are and mm-hmm. see what the differences are and see where our product needs to be to work with all of those, but still be the tightest fit. Um, and yeah, so, so people understand that just to like clarify a little bit there. Um, 
if their tolerance isn't tight, like you may make it perfect for one, but if their tolerance like has a lot of, of room to play, the other one your product may be too big for, or the other one your product may be too small for. So to kind of hit that sweet spot, um, that's that's a, a good, you know, like something I think that an average person wouldn't think of that you would need to go out and buy like 20 of them to kind of get an idea what the average is to like till you could get to the point where it's it's not like you just go measure the one set you have on your handlebars and you're, you're in business. Yeah, that's a lesson we learned on the better bolt side then really quickly when we were developing Freedom Coast. It was like, nope, go buy 10 sets. Let's get the yeah. tolerances. Let's write them all down and go from there. So because we, we see it on the bolt side, like a shock bolt um tolerance can we can send a bolt that's perfect tolerance to the one and it doesn't even fit in another frame because there's paint in the way or there's you know yeah that bearing had a bad tolerance so yeah it's crazy so um yeah i think like ultimately what what you're doing in the scenario of the the bolts and the and like the levers for example is like there's a, a useful reason to do it. Like, oh, you're saving weight or this this lever is better. And then there's the bling side of it where it's like, oh, I can do this in different colors. And I think at the end of the day, that's something that you would be able to offer that any manufacturer, they're just not going to want to mess with it. You know, like TRP is not going to want to carry, you know, extra stock for, you know, every lever that they have in eight different colors or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or just where, the stamped, where, stamped aluminum to CNC machined. Like yeah. that's a big, big difference and a big commitment. So yeah, I totally agree. And then I'm sure like the the cost for them as well, if they were to be manufacturing them, would really it would it would change their their manufacturing like cost for their product as well. Then you know, then maybe they're not being able to be as competitive with some other company. That's I mean, at the end of the day, I would say that Shimano and SRAM is probably selling a lot more brakes than TRP, right? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, they have all the or most of the OEM contracts, right. and, and and to be honest, like we we had a SRAM lever, uh, and it was great, and but we couldn't like we sold out of it, and now with all the new SRAM stuff that just came out, uh, we're developing a, a update to that lever, um, so yeah. it'll fit the, it'll fit the old stuff and the new stuff. Um, but yeah, SRAM's another another one where you know you look at their their lever is basically just a stamped piece of, of, of metal. Yeah. And it's almost meant to be a throwaway. Like if you crash, that thing's made to break. Yeah. So that it saves the rest of the, of the, of the brake system. Right. So, um, we can do things that, that they can't do because we we're willing to take the time and effort to hold tighter tolerances and use different processes and things like that. And then the bling factor is just, it's just icing on the cake. Like if you can offer yeah. colors, people love to color match their stuff. I like the raw levers. Like we, our silver levers are, we hand buff them mm -hmm. and we do not, we don't coat them. And the mm -hmm. reason why we do that is because if you crash and you scratch it, well now you can just go buff it out and you have a brand new looking lever. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's kind of our philosophy there. Um, but yeah, we're able to be pretty nimble as well. I think that's one of the exciting parts about making things for yourself and making everything in-house is that, you know, we had people be like, hey, like, uh, can you add some grip to these levers? Mm -hmm. Or have you ever thought of, of putting dimples or serrations or anything like that in there? And so we did. We added machining marks uh, that act as, 
has a little bit of grip or I don't know if it's grip or feel. Feel is probably yeah, a better feel. word. Yeah. Because, uh, um, but now that we have them, like we have a couple sets here that don't have them just from from previous uh, revisions of it. And we go to ride those and we're like, oh man, it's so much better. I'm glad, I'm so glad we listened to people and, yeah. and added some feel to these. And, and, you know, even going from ours to a fact, a uh, stock one, a stock tram lever or whatever, you're like, wow, like, you know, we did pretty good on these. So, yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, even down to like the, the little laser etching logo that's, that's on, on the lever. It just, it's just a really nice touch to like really tie it together and be like you, you look at it and you're like wow like this thing's pretty rad and to be honest when i when i first was thinking about it i was like a little bit nervous about oh, i've never taken the levers off of my brake i don't know what that means or what that's going to look like and and um you guys had uh like a tiktok kind of video that was online i watched it took way too long on the first one and then the second one was like all oh, right i'm done in like a minute you know it was like but it, it it um it was really easy process too so i mean it wasn't wasn't yeah. like you need to be super mechanically inclined and you're not having to re-bleed your brakes or anything like that it's it's all you know just take a couple of bolts outside this new one new yeah one in and CRP, crp did a great job of developing uh, a really well thought out brake Mm -hmm. and obviously they're they're really powerful too and that's why people use them but you know they they did a really good job with with modulation with power with with ease of install i mean uh they're really easy to maintenance it's, it's just a it's just a really good product and so it made it made our job a little bit easier when we went to to make some changes to the lever yeah and it's one part for us when you look at the shram side of things we did make a lever in the past the code r you could bolt it right in, but if you had code RSCs, which is typically what people are, you know, wanting, if, if somebody has that break, they're wanting to upgrade it more than if they have the R, they have the R, mm -hmm. they're just kind of getting rid of that and maybe buying TRP, but there were some pressed elements to it. There were additional pieces. So just in the time for production, when we're working on the new Shram lever now, it's like six pieces um, mm -hmm. and it comes and it's going to be really easy to install, but just the putting that all together and getting all the drawings and machining six different parts it's it's a lot yeah yeah and you guys have your own machine shop that you're that you're running for this and yeah, you can probably hear it in the background yeah um, i don't know if you can hear it screaming out there but so better bolts we still outsource uh most of that machining but chris is you know helping us bring that all in-house uh to do mm -hmm. right here so no more run around to different shops and coloring factories and uh but yeah that i mean that coloring machine's almost a million dollars that we want to we want to buy but when you're paying you know, 50, 60, 70 cents a bolt, it, it helps to bring it in house. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, what kind of machines do you guys use? Um, we have our mills are brothers, um, which is, they're really good machines. We make all of our products are aluminum. So it's a really fast, um, machine that's, that's kind of set up for the way that parts are programmed these days, which is a lot of high speed dynamic milling. Um, mm -hmm. so you're going really fast. You're taking smaller cuts. Um, so that's, that's what we have here for those. And then, um, for the Swiss stuff, uh, for better bolts, um, uh, we have a shop that we partner with right down the street and they use, uh, star machines. 
Right on. So, so that's what you're using for the titanium side then. Yeah, so correct. I mean, yeah. Next purchase on our list is. Yeah, so we're, we'll be bringing that stuff. We do some of the better bolt stuff in house now, like the box top caps. Yep. Um, and then we'll be bringing the rest of it in house within the next year or so. Yeah, those, those machines aren't cheap. That's for sure, man. So there's definitely, uh, I know a friend of mine, he, he ran uh, Project 321 for a long time and his machine's quite quite expensive. And the company I work for as well, they're, they machine RVs and all kinds of parts to do with that. And the stuff that we have in there is just ridiculously expensive. But so, yeah, 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 good times. So back to the uh, the better bolts. So when people come to your site, is it like you said that there's packages for certain bikes or it's like you can kind of come in and like build your own cart? How, yeah, how does so you, it work? So you can hop on the site and kind of type in Fox. So say you kind of have a Fox set up on your bike. It's going to pull up a search for everything Fox or you can use the filters there. So when you look at a Fox fork, we have the top caps. So we have the little bolt that goes on top. We have the axle pinch bolt. Uh, so everything Fox is going to show up there. The transfer seat posts, little bolts that, that show up in there. So you kind of knock out that portion of your bike. Next, you move on to calipers, uh, search caliper, use the filters, pick your caliper lengths. If you're unsure, there's a little chat feature. Hey, what size do I need for, you know, a 220 rotor on a Fox, um, mm -hmm. on a Fox 38? And our support staff will kind of respond with, with what size that is. Uh, next, you can hop onto rotors or stem and all the common parts. Uh, you know, people reach out to us. They're like, I have a Renthal stem. So we order a Renthal stem. We figure out what bolts. We throw it up on the website and add that as a product. So you can pretty easily hop through our site and not have to measure much. We also have a printable PDF where um, I worked with a graphic designer and we got all the thread pitches on there so you can kind of hold them up. Um, there are a lot of like you know, at the hardware store, you can buy these little gauges for figuring out your thread pitch, but cycling, um, the engineers in the cycling industry have picked bolts that don't always have, you know, standards to them. Yeah. So an example is the fine thread pitch on an axle. You know, you're not going to find at Home Depot, uh, you know, an M12 with a 1.0 thread pitch uh, gauge to understand what that is. Um, yeah. And so we do want to work on machining something that gives you all of those but it's such a massive amount of uh skews at the moment it's uh it can be difficult so whenever somebody whenever we get pictures or you know somebody's unsure and doesn't want to measure our support staff's there to help we ask for a couple specific photos and we can kind of build out a kit from there so a lot of yeah. our business is i want a custom kit it goes into our ticketing system we ask for specific photos we send it out invoice ship the order and we label everything on the packing slip of where it goes Right on. So then like if there's a bolt that, you know, maybe some stems, they use the bolt that's threaded the whole way through, even though it doesn't need to be. But then some other stems use it where it's like, like the first quarter inch is not threaded and then it's threaded after that. Like, would you match that uh, as far as like what each bike company did or does it not really matter that that like smooth spots there? Yeah, our, our opinion is we like to match. Mm -hmm. um, just mainly because if we send you a bolt pack, you pull out a bolt. It's really nice to see that you're putting in the same bolt. It also, mm -hmm. you know, kind of solves any, like, is this the right bolt? Is it not? You know, people do ask mm -hmm. questions like that. So whenever we get a bolt or whenever we get enough requests for a bolt and it's a little bit custom, uh, we will 
manufacture the bolt exactly like that. So we'll, we'll work on a drawing there and, and get that manufactured. Right on. So, and then, um, like you, you guys sent me a pack so I could see what your, what your packaging looks like. And it's like a, a little like bolt kind of organizer thing with, with everything all separated out. And what else do you guys have in, in here? Yeah. So I think we sent you some TRP pad retention pins. We sent you some rotor bolts, some caliper mounting bolts, uh, titanium anti-seize, which is good to just put on the back of the, the heads. You have the black coated bolts, so it doesn't matter mm -hmm. as much, but if you're in a harsh climate, it's, it's good to have a little bit of lubricant on your bolts. We also uh, work with a company called Vibratite. Um, while Loctite brand is probably what everybody uses, you know, Loctite 242, mm -hmm. we've noticed that when you have a bunch of different greases um, and lubricants on something, whether it's the threads or the bolt that you're installing, sometimes 242 doesn't lock up completely. Mm -hmm. So um, this company, Vibratite, reached out to us and let us know that they had like an oil uh, tolerable Loctite. So we started using that. So it, you know, works the same way as blue 242, but it, it'll still bind up, uh, if there's other lubricants present. Yeah. So when anybody's buying any, any kind of, um, like bolt kit, basically it comes in that same, same packaging. Um, that's actually an addition on the website. So otherwise mm -hmm. we just send in like a little hang tag, uh, mm -hmm. but somebody can select send with bolt organizer and we send it that mm -hmm. way. And then there's also an upsell opportunity for us where we say, Hey, for three bucks, you can get anti C's for $4. Yeah. You can get the Loctite that we recommend. So. Yeah, uh, no, that's super. I mean, I, I think that's like, to me, I'm all, I'm, I'm always really big on packaging. And I think that you really thought it, thought it through like that. Like, I don't know, for me, it seems like sometimes I use Loctite so infrequently that i have like nine bottles because i can never find like the one that i had last time yeah or the one that i did use the last time maybe i didn't screw the lid on all the way and now it's all try so like to be able to just be like hey i'm ordering these and check this box for a couple of bucks i can get a couple like all the things that i need yeah, I'm like, yeah so we've them. gone we've gone out and found like that's why he says working with Vibratite. like we've gone out and found like little tiny what are they one ounce yeah, or one like, and a half ounce yeah and then we, have, we sell bigger ones too. And so if you, if you're going like, it's enough to get you through your whole bike, but, but then you're done with it. And, yeah. and so it's the same thing with the anti-seize. We sell little tiny caps of it. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's a couple dollars, but you you get to install your bolts the right way. Um, and that's kind of what we're all about is like we said, quality and we want to, we need to do, we figured out that we need to do a better job with education. And so that's mm -hmm. our next endeavor is kind of starting a YouTube uh, where we can have some informational videos and show people the right way to install and take care of, of your bolts and your hardware. Um, and these products kind of go hand in hand with that. We've also started offering some torque wrenches and some other tools like that. Um, just products that we think are really good that, that could, that are good products for you, like for anyone who owns a bike, really. And mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you ever work on your bike, you want to have the right tools. There's nothing worse than not being able to get something off because you don't have the right tool. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's kind mm -hmm. of our our next endeavor is is the, the education aspect of it. Are you guys doing axles as well, or just like the bolts? We have axles catted up. We have drawings. We have uh, <laughs> it's like the one, you know, one more project. Our biggest thing is we always ask our question, like, what, 
ask ourselves the question, what, what does this add uh, to the consumer, to our customer? And what value does it add to your bike? And, and I don't want to just make an axle because you can buy a purple or, or, or oil slick colored axle. Like that doesn't, that doesn't really add much value mm -hmm. in my opinion. So we've been riding our own axles that we've, that we've machined for, for a little while now. And we're kind of weighing whether like, you know, we keep making improvements and it's, it's the whole R and D process, like I was saying right. before. And so until we think that we have done something that's special enough to, to put our name on, uh, we're just going to keep tweaking it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's, there's probably something, something to improve there, you know, or, where where it's like okay like santa cruz they have the axle that has the handle and it's got kind of a real cool kind of like spring mechanism that you can turn the handle without turning the the, the axle you know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah i think it's a dt swiss made product if i'm not yeah yeah so it's yeah. like something like that where that they actually took it and they're like hey let's make this a little better and it's like okay well could you do that and maybe shave some weight or something like that. But I think the other end of it to me, that would be appealing where you were like, Oh, I, I just can't make it purple. But to me, it's like, I would prefer to have the same color purple on all the parts that I'm changing. And that's the problem is whenever you get online, yeah. you, they are yeah. not. And, and even nice with, with our side of things is like better bolts and freedom cuz use the same anodizer for our aluminum products. So like right. our Fox pop caps, they match the, purple levers on on the freedom coast side of things yeah and so like that kind of stuff to me is where there's value in that in its in itself you know even even you know we were talking about trp when i bought the trp brakes i bought the silver what i thought was silver you know you look at like 97 percent of the pictures online it's silver it looks like just brushed aluminum like your handles yeah, and then i open the box and they're blue, blue. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? I got the wrong ones, you know? And, and I'm like, oh, this is not silver, you know? And, um, uh, and I ended up going through the process where it was like, all right, well, I'm sending those back. Cause it's not, it doesn't meet, it doesn't like do what I wanted it to do was like match certain other aspects of my, my bike. So that was, um, also a thing that I liked whenever I saw your levers, I was like, all right, this is raw. It says right there, you know? So that's we really awesome. try to not like edit our photos on our website and really show the true color. Um, and if somebody's bummed with color, we're always willing to, you know, work with them on, on getting And that some done. of but, that's just camera, man. Cause I sent a picture yeah. to the shop that I bought them from and was like, dude, you guys ordered the wrong ones. And then I looked at my picture and I'm like, it looks silver in my picture. Like Chris comes from the photo world and the, him and our employee actually bought something that, what does it do? It like takes the pixels on the computer screen and. Oh no, we just calibrate our, we had to calibrate our screen so that the colors were correct. And, but it's yeah. hard. You put, you put, you know, you put up some lights and put it on a white background and it's, you know, you underexpose or overexpose a little bit and it doesn't look right. Yeah. So we try to keep our website looking as true as possible. But if your screen is not calibrated correctly, it might look weird. Yeah. I and mean, we get people all the time saying, Hey, can you match uh, Chris King? gold or can you match berg tech something or other right and, and it's like yeah. i don't know yeah well, i mean like their colors change too i mean i think chris king or has like polished gold and matte gold yeah. and, and it's like 
you know, there's companies out there that do a great job with their colors. Um, and I think we do a good job with our colors, but it's always going to be like anodizing is not a perfect process. And yeah, so whenever no. you try to match someone else's anodizer, uh, it'll be close yeah. maybe, but there's like, we've gone through like four different golds to find the gold that we like. I mean, the TRP gold is a weird gold too. It's more, more it's like, bronze. it's almost like a bronze. Copper, yeah. yeah. Uh, or yeah, copper, I guess, but it's like a really bright gold and it doesn't, some golds are more yellow or orangey. Um, and so, yeah, it, there's, there's a lot, like people don't realize like adding a color is, is a big deal. So that's the thing to me where I was saying there's a lot of value in you guys just making the products that I know would all match. So I had um, another company on a while ago that did some machining and I expressed to them the same thing that I looked for on your site whenever I went there. I was like, oh, they have top caps. Cool. Those are colored. Oh, they have these bolts. Those are colored. But nobody makes seat post clamps that match the other stuff. Why is that? Yeah, we've been kind of jumping into seat post clamps and just looking at, can we make it better? Like, we don't just want to make it colored. We yeah. want to also make it better. We think like Bike Yoke's doing a really good job of their, they have some, a product called the Squeezy that, uh -huh. that we, you know, we think that's a great seat post. But yeah, colors, just an inventory thing. It's, a, you know, one thing sells out. Like the first time we ran levers, purple sold out instantly. And then we made a bunch more purple and they didn't move for a little bit. It's just so weird how... Um, yeah. Yeah, colors come and go, but yeah, it's a it's a big operational bandwidth to to add a color. But yeah, seat posts is, seat post clamps are a great idea. I think there's we got to find a way to kind of improve on them. Yeah, yeah I think be, the thing that catch you with those is like you really do have to pay attention to each brand with them because um, you may buy a, maybe you get online and you you find a seat post that's finally like the color that you want, right? And you order it and then you get it home and the old seat post that was on your bike was like five millimeters longer. So now you have paint to this raw carbon to now your new seat post. So that, that to me would be like, that's the part where it's like, you're adding that extra layer of like, Hey, this is going to fit right on your specialized bike or fit right yeah. on your Santa Cruz bike. And it's also going to be the right color as the other stuff that we sold you. you know? It's always smart to kind of look at the bike. And that's why with, with better bolts and with, because we have to get the product in hand to see, you know, yeah. the silver. How does silver look against their silver? Or how does gold? If we just saw TRP makes a gold lever and we never got it in hand, it's very yeah. copper. So if we would have made gold levers, they probably wouldn't have sold it all unless they. Yeah, you know, that's actually the reason black. why we don't make gold levers. Yeah. Is because their color is just, a, it's a weird color that I mean, we, we took the lever bodies to our anodizer and said, make this color. And he couldn't really do it. Yeah, he's and like, I don't know what they're doing over there. Yeah. yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think one day we'll eventually do gold. But, like, to be honest, like, our biggest problem is keeping up with demand. Mm -hmm. So every time we add a color, that's just more parts that we have to make. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, for example, right now we have raw levers and we have black levers. Mm -hmm. And those are your choices because everything else is out of stock. Yeah. So they're they're on the machine right now. They're running, but um, you know, like we do batches and and cross your fingers that the batch doesn't sell out before the next ones come back in. So yeah, yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I mean that's that's our our biggest um, uh, thing that we're working on right now is ramping up production. Mm-hmm. So you know it's 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 hard it's a hard thing to do uh, to grow a business from scratch and to keep everybody happy as well because you know I can buy ten machines but then if nothing's running on them we, we we're losing money and yeah. and so. We're trying to be we're both, we're both fairly conservative and we're trying to be smart and we're also trying to um, kind of see where this all leads us and grow our business in the in the way that can help the industry the best. Mm-hmm. Um, so I for us like and talking to you like th- like this just kind of reiterates the fact that this is a really cool industry, mm-hmm. you know. And from both of us coming from different industries, man, th- like this people really care in this industry, and it's from the people that you see on the trail every day to the people who work at these companies, um, you know, and we, we have interaction with, with a bunch of bike brands now and, and whether it's someone uh, who just wants us to make some stuff for their bikes or someone who's having warranty issues or, or whatever it might be, everyone like just wants to, to make stuff better and, and mm-hmm. to work with cool people and to, and to push the envelope a little bit. So, that, we're pretty excited about about where we're sitting, but yeah, keeping everybody happy is is one of the harder things to deal with every day. So, so is your goal to like get more like jobs with the bigger companies and be selling them bolts, or is it to like lean more towards the the customizing or helping out the the average consumer, or is it kind of like a hybrid of the both? I think our, our main goal is to keep pushing the industry and is to keep making our products as to, the best products that we can actually put out. Um, mm-hmm. And we love to work with everybody. You know, we, we interact with customers on a daily basis and we love it. And we have people that come in, you know, all the local people that just want to pick their bolts up and, and say hi and see what we're doing and check out the shop. Uh, we love that stuff. And we also work with, you know, YT is 15 minutes away in San Clemente. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and so we work with guys like that too. So we definitely have an OE side to our business as well as a direct to consumer side, um, for both brands actually. But, um, you know, we're just here to make cool stuff. So mm-hmm. <laughs> if people want to work with us, then that's awesome. We love it. Mm-hmm. So, um, as far as your machine shop goes, are you guys running that? for your own production and that's it or do you are you contracting some other stuff for other people as well no, no, just our own stuff we, at the moment we only so. make our own parts and that's we always had in the back of our minds like hey we can we can subsidize with uh we can do some aerospace stuff on the side and and mm-hmm. keep the money rolling in but to be honest we found that if we put the effort into the products people want them and yeah. it's it's hard enough to keep up with with that so um as of now and hopefully forever, we're just making our own stuff. How automated is the process for the, the Freedom Coast stuff? Is it, you know, you're just loading it in and the machine's like changing tools and cha- and doing all the stuff on its own or is it pretty manual? Um, yeah, I mean, they're normal CNC machines. So there we have some pretty cool fixturing that we've done. Uh, so we have basically the whole table is all laid out with with different parts and we have it laid out so that like one cycle will make a set of brake levers and it'll also make a fork mount 
uh, on one machine so we can change between the two or run both at the same time for longer cycle times. Um, mm -hmm. We have not gotten into any robotics or anything like that yet for automation. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of our next steps probably, but um, right now we're so, we're, we're so quick moving and I don't want to ruin that. Yeah. So, you know, once you set up something with a robot, you know, you're kind of, that's what you're making for a while. And yeah. so for us, like, you know, we were able to make a rev change to the levers immediately. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we make, we've made, I think three different changes to our fork mounts now, like small changes, some things that, that you may or may not notice if you were a consumer. Um, yeah. But continual improvement is, is, is something we say around here a lot. And we're able to do that in minutes instead of in, in, in months, weeks, or years. So that's that, that Kaizen approach, right? Yeah, we want to, and we want to keep it that way. So yeah. uh, it's a, it's definitely a, it's a, it's a fine balance between uh, being able to make as many parts as you want and to be able and to still be flexible like that. Yeah. So, yeah. So you were saying that the levers are CNC'd. Can you explain how a CNC machine works so people that maybe haven't seen one before? So I'm assuming that essentially you have a piece of raw metal that's like what kind of dimensions that's, that starts out? Yeah, so I always I always forget that people don't know. I've been doing it for a while, so. I yeah, yeah, totally. Know, but um, basically the levers start as a aluminum block. I think it's three quarters thick by inch and a half or so wide um and, and it the, comes in a 12 foot yeah it comes they come in tw 12 foot lengths and we cut them to size and i think the size is right around six inches and it makes us two levers two levers uh kind of sit like like inner intertwined with each other a yin yang kind of yeah yeah inside that block and we machine around it and then it gets flipped over and we machine the other side um and then it also gets some side holes in it as well um mm -hmm. and so the parts have an op one, they have an op two where they get flipped over and then they have an op three where they get the side holes and then they come out as, as done parts. So, and then at that point you have somebody that's like deburring and kind of doing some finish work on them. Yeah. So they come out of the machine and while the next parts are running, those are checked for quality. So like the holes are checked with pins. There's a go and a no go pin. The threads are checked with a thread gauge. Um, and then there's other dimensions that we check. So we have a blueprint sitting in front of the machine and uh, the operator will be checking with with some inspection equipment and then if as long as everything is smooth then th those parts will move along and yeah they'll get the holes will get deburred we deburr most almost the whole entire thing in the machine but there's some inside holes that we need to deburr by hand and then mm -hmm. after that they get the finished process which is uh we have we tumble or we scotch bright or we polish and buff Mm -hmm. depending on the on the color and the product so mm -hmm. what's a tumble what's that what's it like a big big old uh, yeah bucket a a tumbler is just, just like a big <laughs> bathtub thing full of uh media and they're I th like porcelain is what ours are but you can get plastic or 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 metal balls or there's a bunch of different ways to do it um, but it basically tumbles the parts in the around in there and it gets it removes all the burrs and then gives them a really uniform finish it's it's pretty sure. cool to watch like you know not being from manufacturer on my end coming in and learning all this from chris like 
I was like, oh, you should go film some of that stuff. And he, he threw it into the Tumblr and pulled it back out and put it a real, I think it got like 18 million views. Yeah. It's like, people like to watch the how it's made side of things. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's where you can you can have, like draw some some um, traffic to, to your products that way. Because that stuff is interesting, you know? And, and um, I mean, it's why that show, isn't there a show on like History Channel or something like that? It's like yeah. how things are made or something like that. It's like, that's that's a really popular show. It's been on for like a ton of seasons just because people like to see that stuff. And just like you, Thomas, I, I didn't work in any kind of manufacturing before the job that I'm at now. And, you know, to walk in and see a big hunk of metal that's 12 feet long and then like you were saying as well, Chris, at the beginning and then at the end of the process seeing like, Hey, here's, you know, all these brake levers that were made out of that. It's like really neat to, to like see that from raw to product, like kind of evolution right inside of your, your, your manufacturing facility. Yeah. I think that laser etch is the final touch, just like, you know, a little American flag on there and just really, really cool to hold a colored part that's laser etched. Yeah, 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 I think that I, I really like. I don't know why that like really jumped out to me the way that it did, but um, I I can't like explain the reason. But when I saw that, I was like, wow! Like it, I I think to me it just really showed that there was attention to detail and that um, that like little bit of extra time was put in for that. For not like there's not anything operational about that for you guys to go buy a like $40,000 laser or whatever, you know what I mean? Just to, to, to like inscribe some American flags on the side of your lever. Like there's not, not a, an operational reason, at least for that aspect, you know? And um, to me, we we just wanted it to look cool. That's, I mean, that's the main thing. Like for me, like buying a bike or whatever it is, like you have to like the way it looks. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you love the way your bike looks, then you want to go ride it. And yeah, so you know and that's my main problem with like an e-bike is like i don't like the way it looks and and not that i'm saying that e-bikes are bad or anything like that but uh like there's bikes out there where i'm just like man like i love that thing like like the hardtail back there that pivot hardtail is just you look at that bike and you want to go fast you want to ride it and so that's kind of the feeling we wanted to have with our levers i mean it doesn't even say our name on it that's probably yeah. stupid from a branding standpoint, but um... yeah, maybe yes, maybe no. You know what I mean? Cause I honestly, I was thinking about the, that same thing just earlier today with um, like rim companies, you know, like they have like these huge names all over. And, and a lot of times it's like, I, I'll look at it like, okay, I'm going to take this decal off and maybe I'll put something else on there that says their name, but I'm going to do it differently or it's more discreet. And in my mind, I was like, man, if I had a company that I would try not to like plaster my name, all everything or everything, I would let my product speak for itself. And then, I mean, as you guys are, are, you know, living proof, you can't keep the stuff on the shelf because it's something that people want. They don't really care about the name being all written all over it, you know? Yeah, I guess there's two sides to that coin. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, every bike company puts their name on the bike. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. And, you know, like, I think Envy kind of built a brand around around being, like, kind of loud. At least in the beginning, they were. Yeah. yeah the rims, specifically. They, they were, like, you knew when someone would had Envy rims. 
Yeah, because they had three decals on it instead of two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even, yeah, even when they were going fast, you knew they were NV rims. But yeah, yeah. But you know, they make a, a really good high end product as well. And I think now you, when you see NV, there's a lot of like, uh, like just black decals. Yeah. You know, or and and you still know they're NV, but it's not so in your face. Um, yeah. So I think they, they've kind of adapted with the times on that one. Um, yeah, I don't know. We're not like branding gurus, you know, we're just yeah. guys out here trying to trying to do cool stuff. So and we sit there with the laser engraver. We look at the file and the you know, a couple employees we have, we kind of all decide, OK, it should be this big. It should be this small. We like this font. And let's yeah. go for that. If it's something we like, then hopefully it's something yeah. everybody likes. So. Yeah. And you think with the laser too, like like if we were just talking about levers for example i mean you could you could laser out some kind of cool design on the lever that just makes it stand out that's not really like functionally changing anything it's just um just makes it look different you know and i think at the end of the day i think that's what like really speaks to a certain audience of people is that they just want to individualize their their bike so that when they're on the trail and the other guy rolls up with the with the same Bronson, you know, the same color, not looking at like, oh, that's that's exactly like mine. You know, it's like something individualized, you know. Yeah, we see that as a huge trend for sure. Yeah. And not yeah. And not only that, but like there's guy, there's I would say guys and girls, there's most most of us like to tinker and yeah. to play around and to and to keep, you know, making improvements and. Like the bolts, you don't have to spend a thousand dollars on bolts. You can spend twenty dollars, forty dollars, and right. upgrade as you go. I mean, you know, anyone from a a fourteen year old kid to to a CEO of a company can can go do that. And um, that's you know, the levers are a little more, but there's a little bit more to that. And mm -hmm. uh, so, like, it's cool. It's cool that we're able to bring all this stuff uh, and give people options. And, mm -hmm. and make things and make things their own you know so it's interesting on the better bolt side of things like it seems like that market of um changing your bike and personalizing it is really big to the trail bike market mm -hmm. um where people are always like oh you guys would crush it and try or road or e-bikes like we do well in those sectors but we really our bread and butter is trail bikes and maybe it's because that's what we ride um, yeah but yeah it's interesting that market tends to really do a lot to personalize their bike yeah, that's interesting. You know, when I think about it, like, I think if you think on like road bikes, for example, you'll see some people custom paint them, but you definitely don't notice people like switching out bolts or yeah, yeah. stem valve stems to be different colors and stuff. I wonder why that is. That's really strange now that I sit here and think about it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's a different crowd. It really is. Yeah. Like, I mean, and you know, we we kind of ride everything around here, but you know our trails are our enduro or, or more like all mountain trails but there's a there's a huge tri market around us and and road bike and it's, they're just a little different you know mm -hmm. they wear lycra and they shave their legs and yeah and don't put colors on their bikes <laughs> right. um, but there's a lot of advantages too like people like those road guys are on their bike for two three four hours at a time and they sweat all over everything and so uh -huh. we see a lot of corrosion and a lot of rusting happen when when bike companies just put, you know, crappy stainless hardware on there. Um, uh -huh. And so guys can really they can save weight over stainless, which I know is a big deal for road guys. But but just the corrosion issue um, is big also for those guys. Uh -huh. so. 
Where did you come up with the name Freedom Coast from? Uh, I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> like, I, I kind of, I mean, we're, so we're really close to Laguna Beach. Our main trails are in Laguna Beach and in Aliso Viejo. And I kind of just wanted to embody that feeling of, like, I mean, we have ocean views when we're riding. And so uh -huh. I just wanted, you know, the freedom was kind of just like uh, uh, the freedom you feel when you're riding and, and yeah. the freedom you kind of do your own thing. And then I wanted the coast part of it because, I mean, like, we'll ride our bikes down to the ocean and go jump in the water and then ride back. Like, it's... Yeah. So the, the coastal aspect of it for us, like that's kind of how we, how we grew up and kind of our, the feeling I wanted to have for the company. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I'd ask yeah, Thomas the same question, but I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it hard to make other stuff though, but we can, like Better Bolts can jump into so many different industries, which is awesome. You know, yeah. motorcycles and there's, you know, people ask us for like bolts for their knives and, and things like that, mm -hmm. RC cars. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's, when we the, kicked off the show kind of talking about like, you know, why isn't it one company? Why are these different ones? Like better bolts does kind of pigeonholes into that single mm -hmm. making bolts and making them better. But yeah, yeah. that's fine. I got the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think that, um, well, you can always rebrand, right? <laughs> but I know, I mean, like, like I said already, like I didn't want to spend forever worrying about the name. There's so many yeah. other things that you can to, then worry about. And I know there's people that get paid, millions of dollars to figure out what the name should be and what the branding should be and all that. But yeah. at the end of the day, like it's, it's just a word. You know? yeah, I run yeah. legal and accounting and all of our backend stuff. So an address change and a name change, just like give me nightmares. So. <laughs> no reverb. Yeah. It's interesting. I always like to ask how the names came about and it's like, sometimes it's, it's like what you said, Chris, like um, I, I have no idea. I think, when I was talking about my buddy Jake from Project Three Two One, I was like, "How'd you get that name?" And he was like, "I don't know. We needed to put something on the like application." <laughs> like, yeah, I think that sounds cool, you know. <laughs> like, so uh, yeah, it was it was it's interesting. And sometimes you know people have a lot a lot of story to it, but I think at the either way, it doesn't really matter. I think it's like I said a few minutes ago, if you're making products that that are filling a, a avoid or you know better than what's out there on the market like they'll speak for themselves so the name of the company doesn't really matter so yeah i figured as long as you can pronounce it and remember it then uh yeah. it should be good to go right so yeah 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 totally so is there anything at freedom coast other than the racks and the levers that you're making over there that i that i maybe didn't catch whenever i was looking at the site or um Jeez, is there L track? Oh yeah, we so we we supply L track now, so mm -hmm. uh, we work directly with a mill that makes that stuff for us. So um, it's we make sure that it's high quality. It's the it's the right materials. Um, a little bit of a different manufacturing method where it'd be really hard to stand that up. We're kind of CNC and lathe based. That's mm -hmm. extrusion, so they're kind of Chris can explain. Yeah, they're basically jamming. Like. They're jamming material at a, at a high temperature through a die and so that's what mm -hmm. makes the material that shape so um that's not really something you can do on a smaller scale but uh, we found a really good l-track manufacturer and we work with them and and then we put our hard anodizing on it which makes it the same color as all of our other stuff and it makes it really scratch resistant corrosion resistant uh mm -hmm. and it looks really cool it's like a dark gray color mm -hmm. um 
kind of unique to that process. So um, yeah, the L track has been a good addition and it ties right in with the mounts. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, right now we have two different mounts we have, and then we have the rack and then we have the levers and we have mm -hmm. some stuff in development. I don't know how much I could or should talk about, but um, I think just additional levers and uh, some improvements on bike racking solutions in general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's our, awesome. Our, yeah, our, our SRAM lever it will be really cool when it comes out. Yeah. So I know, I know a lot of people have been asking, uh, probably one, at least one person a day asks, send an email or a DM or whatever about yeah. SRAM levers. Yes, they're coming. No, I don't know when. Yeah. 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 Then the rumor mill is that they're switching to, to mineral oil. So hopefully they don't change anything on you. It's interesting. They didn't change a ton when, when it comes to the old um, codes versus the new ones, but they will make some changes that, you know, we'll have to adapt to. The most recent one on the better bolt side was the transmission shift pod and mm -hmm. how that connects. It's the exact, and it, I'm, I'm sure it'll cause some problems that we'll probably hear about in the near future. They took the bolt that you would mount matchmaker with, which mm -hmm. is a capped head. I believe it's M5 by 11 and there's an M5 by nine, depending on which matchmaker setup you have. And it's got 0.8 thread. The new SRAM pod, I'm assuming because it kind of sticks out a little further and needed more engagement. They went down to a 0.5 thread pitch, I believe, but the bolt looks exactly the same. So yeah. I'm sure we'll see some customers, you know, driving in the wrong thread pitch to there. We're releasing yeah. that bolt this week. Uh, we got SRAM uh, transmission reverse engineered that part and are releasing it, releasing it this yeah. week. So, um, but yeah, we just yeah, I don't really like the mount with mine. It's like, like a single color that really only allows you to have the button kind of like in one orientation. So yeah. And the old one was so clean where it could mount, you know, with TRPs, you could have just the TRP clamp and then you could have, you know, the pod on there, whether it was your dropper or your shifter for access mm -hmm. really, really cleanly done. So I'm sure that there's some companies creating, you know, matchmaking type systems for for transmission but yeah that pod kind of sits on its own bar and it's got a decent size angle to it so um yeah, that's like where we wish angle. we could prototype and, and release sooner um match a color like you said uh, yeah. definitely a, a lot of room for production i think somebody way. said somebody said that there was another like i don't know if it's from sram or for somebody else but it like where that bolt goes in the default one like there's a, a hinge there instead. So you can yeah, swing. Yeah, I saw that. A little adapter and you can bring it left and right and it uses the yeah. same bolt. I just saw that from a, a customer sent us a photo and said, I need a bolt for this. So yeah, yeah. I think I think it was SRAM that really said. Oh, so it is from SRAM then, I, okay. I, I think so. Got it. Yeah, I was wondering, cause I was like, I don't know. I really wasn't sure if I was gonna like that, that, um, that pod compared to the old lever. Cause I like the old one, but. Once it's clamped to the bar, it feels much better. When we had yeah. it off the bike, we were like, wait, this is kind of hard to click. And but once yeah. it's on the bike, it, yeah. it really uh the buttons feel good. the buttons feel good. Yeah. I think I like it. Yeah. I was able to make it work. I'm I'm a little worried how it sticks out, like it's gonna snap off. But uh Yeah. Yeah, though I think they'll come up with something and figure it out. SRAM is pretty good about that. So I had first ride on the brand new bike with all the brand new stuff, and of course I wiped out, right? Because that's how it goes. And uh, one of the buttons came off. So, okay. yeah. So I, I think that they nailed it on like being able to like rebuild everything. 
but I also think that they came with a couple extra buttons. So okay. apparently that must have been something that came up in the uh, in the field testing, and they're like, let's just ship with a couple extra buttons. Send a couple extra buttons. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, to me, like, that would be, like, one of those things where it's, like, little bling. Like, you could, like, like, because I was thinking, I was like, oh, I could print this thing in a different color, you know, and then my buttons would be a different color or something like that. Yeah, we have a 3D printer at the office and it's, you know, we're popping out the Magura little circles that come on the brakes and changing the colors. And it's so yeah. fun to be able to kind of rapid prototype or just make custom things for your bike. Yeah, or just custom things with, for your life in general. I've definitely, um, I don't know, I, I put off buying a 3D printer for a long time. And once I did, it really... I, I don't want to say like sounds so funny to say like it changed my life, but it really did. It's like so many different things that I'm like, I can just dream up something and make it, you know, and something that there's absolutely no reason anybody else would want to make, you know? Yeah. It's a pretty cool time we're living in right now. You know, I mean, like we're at the point where we're like, Oh, I wish we had some way to hold this, you yeah. know? And, and we're just like, Oh, we'll go we'll draw it and print it real quick. It's not a big deal. Yeah. And so really like it's changed our whole thinking, like our daily process of thinking yeah. is so different now because if we see a problem, we can just go fix it right away. Yeah, we made some of our yeah. CR displays like, you know, eight hours before we left, we were printing those out, so. Right, right. But I mean, it's just like, I think what it does is it, it makes people think like, or helps you think like, like a machinist would think, you know? And I think that Chris, you probably have had that, that way that you looked at things, you know, historically because you were, you were machining things. So you could look at something and be like, Oh, I know how to like make something that would solve that problem. Now, whether or not like financially it would make sense to do that, like it maybe didn't make sense then, but now with like plastic and it's like, Oh, like for instance, I always would have my chapstick in my truck and you know, it gets super hot in California. And if it's laying on its side, all the chapstick like melts all over the place. But if it's standing up, however the hell that thing is, it won't leak out the bottom, right? So I like printed this little thing that fit in one of the little little like change holders in my in my truck so that it just I can drop the the chapstick in and it just stands up all the time. It's like nobody else is gonna want that. But it was like took me like 10 minutes <laughs> to like, you know, just take a little measurement of the caliper. And now I'm like, oh now my chapstick's not melted. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's yeah, great. So, it's it's awesome. I mean, yeah, or yeah. just like or, or organizing your daily life. Like we just have 3D printed. Like our our little our toolbox where we do all of our work on our bikes now just has 3D printed stuff all over it because otherwise people just throw it wherever and it's not organized. And you know, one guy uses it and the next guy can't find the tools. And so now it, yeah, no, it's. It's pretty cool. And I think it's helping drive innovation in the whole industry as well, because you can literally have an idea and flush it out like within a day. Yeah. It's, yeah. Hey, this, so, this is a good idea or this is not a good idea. So, I mean, right. that's what we did with the fork mount, to be honest. I mean, mm -hmm. we went to one of these van expos and walked around around with the rack on a Saturday and half the people were like, this is awesome. And the other half were like, hey, I have my bed in my Sprinter van. I can't put my whole bike in. I have to use a fork mount. And so we literally went home and printed, drew up and printed a fork mount that night and came back to the show and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a final draft of the product, obviously, but right. Um, right. 
but it was we were able to solve a problem in in 24 hours uh, and and th that could have never happened a couple of years ago i think so. the prototyping end of it as well is like you know it's really easy like you said let's just say you're you're printing you know your handles your levers whenever you're you're like prototyping there it's because it's additive like it doesn't matter what angle it is or you're not really like burning metal material to try to like make one to hold to find out whether or not it's going to fit or look right or whatever and well yeah um, yeah and it, it drastically speeds up the r d process i mean we probably went through 20 iterations of that lever and you know you can draw it print it the next day you have it on a bike and can feel it and nope change this you know and so what what takes you know four hours to print or whatever used to it used to be okay now i need to i need to go reprogram the machine i need to go reset 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 it up and the whole machine's down while you're doing that so you're not making any parts of on anything and yeah so it's just a totally different process now and it's it's pretty amazing i don't we don't use a 3d printer to for any products that we sell we don't think they're quite there yet at least most of them for mm -hmm. for this industry but um for as for development it's it's a huge tool yeah i think that it'll get there though eventually i mean they're 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 printing metal you know yeah. so they're printing yeah. like titanium and things of that nature so i think a little bit is still the the look to us as well like we want to make something that looks really cool and some of the 3d printed stuff look wise it just looks a little rough around the edges and yeah uh, but we, we see that improving in the near future yeah we saw trick stuff trick stuff is 3d printing levers levers yep which okay yeah i mean that i just for me like trick stuff was real that was like right up our alley like machined high-end breaking mm -hmm. system and then you go throw a 3d printed lever on it i don't know i don't yeah i don't know if i agree with that but um yeah it's it's getting there i'll say that yeah. it's getting there um yeah i mean it really could change the manufacturing process like once that I, I i'm assuming that stuff will get flushed out you know what i mean and eventually who knows how long that takes but um at that point you know that additive kind of manufacturing instead of subtractive like it just really opens up a lot of doors for for different things that you can do and just in in crazy kind of ways you know like you could 3d print the inside of that lever with some kind of honeycomb design so that it's like 20 percent lighter than it was you know what i mean and do that all over the place and a bunch of parts and then all of a sudden your bike's like a pound or two pounds lighter or something you know yeah no i think in the next 10 years manufacturing is going to be it's going to be insane what you're able to do i mean they already have machines that are cnc machines that are additive and cutting machines so mm -hmm. you can you can add layers and then come back and cut them and then add more layers and cut so oh, wow. uh it's pretty cool to see you can make parts that you would have never been able to make before so yeah uh no we're we're big on technology and, and we love being a part of of what's happening out there it's just exciting for yeah. for someone who makes stuff for a living it's really exciting to see what's coming yeah uh, yeah. 
Yeah. What, what are you guys looking forward to in the future? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I think for us, we just want to keep pushing the envelope and I, you know, I don't, I can't really give away too much, but yeah. there's a reason why we're doing what we're doing. And, you know, we have some pretty lofty goals. And so I, if you just kind of extrapolate the parts that we're making into, into bigger things, that's kind of where we're headed. Mm-hmm. So, um, as far as, you know, a, a shorter term thing, uh, you know, we just like working with people. We like working yeah, with yeah. people. We love working with these companies. Um, there's a handful of bike brands that we've met some really cool people and get to work with and, and, um, and we get to add something to the, to their product. You know, there's a lot of yeah. bike brands that are doing really cool stuff made in the USA stuff now. And yeah. yeah, they're a little expensive and higher end, but I, I really think a lot of that manufacturing is coming back. And so we'll, what we're doing is giving us the opportunity to work with them. So we're really, really yeah. excited about that. And then I think growing something kind of bigger than ourselves in our community, uh, we support a lot of, you know, youth riding in our community, uh, trail advocacy, things like that. It's kind of a big goal of ours is to kind of, you know, hire riders and create kind of a riding community around our business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely, um, it, it's, I, I think I agree with you about things coming back to America and, and um, it's good to see, you know? So, um, yeah, we're really following a lot of the brands that are doing that because we're making parts um, mm-hmm. here is like, if you're making a frame at one of these new carbon facilities in the area, why go source your hardware from overseas yeah. when, when we can fulfill that and, and, and yeah. you know, suit that needs. So. I think having a machine shop as like the base, like the base of like how your products are are designed and, and, or manufactured, like having that inside your own walls really opens up the doors for almost like any product that, that you can dream up, at least in my eyes, when I sit and think about it, it's like, Oh, you could make, you could make, different links sort of like cascade does, or you could make, you know, pedals, or you could make all all these different parts for a bike that are, you know, not maybe the bike itself, but, um, pretty much all of the, all the things that we strap onto it are all made out of metal, you know, and and a lot of those are, you know, and so it's like, Oh, you can make hubs or you can, you know, all, all kinds of different things, you know, headsets or whatever. And, um, so it definitely gives you the spot where it's like, to me, that would be exciting because it's like, okay, what can whatever you can dream up, you know, or yeah. like wherever you see a problem. Yeah, there's definitely more products that we could make than we have time to make. So yeah. that's, I mean, we don't need to go looking in other industries to find something to do. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and we have, you know, our, the back half of our shop is, is a bike shop, really. Um, mm-hmm. So, and it's really cool to come in every day and see new bikes in here. And, yeah. you know, we've had customer bikes, really cool customer bikes that are kind of like what you're saying, where they're all personalized um, to like the new crest lines to the new uh, pivot. Yeah, shuttle. What a, was that thing? Pivot shuttle yeah. all mountain thing. Yeah, uh, then That was a really a, cool new e-bike. We have a Coors bike. It's yeah, all, this, this is our, works all painted like Coors, Coors original. So it's uh, <laughs> fun to just see cool bikes roll through it. Yeah. And it gets you really excited and you get to see like how people do things and oh oh, this guy put this with this so or you know and that's kind of how we are now like we experiment with everything like like my hardtail there we're going to do a a video series on our hardtails but 
it's like uh, the new SRAM axis shifter with the old SRAM derailleur with XTR cassette mm -hmm. with uh, King Creek E-Wings. So it's like this total like hodgepodge of parts and it, you know what? It works awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's really cool to like find different companies strengths and weaknesses and kind of like work your way through that. And um, it's really exciting to be in here and to, to be honest, like we're kind of spoiled because we just, we, we buy products and, and make parts for that product. So we just yeah. have a ton of stuff here. And so we're able yeah. to do uh, a lot of cool things and, and mess around and, and have our buddies try stuff. And it's just a really, really cool uh, environment to come to every day. So, well, since you guys will be working with titanium and you have a machine shop, I feel like the crank set, it's a good way to go. <laughs> yeah. Titanium cranks are pretty awesome. We, we both yeah. run the E-wings. We love those things. Like they don't make them in dub though. That's the thing is like, they don't have a dub now. So yeah. So if you want yeah, to, yeah, so you need, you need, they have a, they make a good bottom bracket too though. So yeah. King Creek yeah. does a really good job. They, and that's a company that's pushing the envelope too. Like they have like their e-bike cranks are 3D printed. Yeah. And so like I'm really excited to see where they go and what they do next. They're doing a really good job. Um, you know, there's cranks are tough. I think that like the whole e-bike thing, they're still working out how they're going to do the cranks. You know, there's yeah. been some crank failures and things like that. And, and so we're kind of just sitting back and seeing how yeah. it goes. I don't know why I'm ha I like have a hard time wrapping my head around what's different there. Like, cause the torque is coming still from your legs, right? Why is there, why is there a failure with the cranks that has to do with the e-bike? Well, the e-bike doesn't use a, uh, there's no, there's nothing that goes through it. It's basically the motor is in the middle. So uh -huh. you're bolt, you're bolting cranks onto the pieces that stick out of the motor. Oh, like a spindle or something. Yeah. Else. It's basically, yeah. yeah. So, that's i believe i think that's where most of the failures are coming from is interesting whether it's user error or install error i don't know yeah. um but i think they need to come up with a little bit better way to secure those yeah um and so you would think it would be like just a machine part that looks exactly like what your bottom bracket would look like right you know yeah but a normal crank you have the i'm blanking on what it, you call it is it just the, the tube that goes through now. Yeah, yeah you yeah. have to have a through spindle that's then sandwiched, so they're bolted. So they're yeah. they're being pushed together. And yeah. On the, and on an e-bike, you don't have that. You have each individual crank that's just being put on and then tightened. So, yeah, I guess I was thinking about the older cranks. Remember those, like where, where like it kind of like screwed in, like the bottom bracket was all one one piece, and then you kind of screwed into this to the both sides. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's, yeah, who knows? We're not solving know. any problems. I don't want to talk about stuff that I that I'm not an expert on. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally um, get it. I totally get it. I'm 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 digressing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, yeah, you know what? Like the, you're right though. Like cranks, there's huge opportunities. Even stems and bars. Like yeah. a lot of people make stems. A lot of people make bars. But I think that you should be using the same stem and bar. Yeah. Like it kind of makes sense to me that those two things should fit exactly together and be made for each yeah. other. Um, so there's, there's a ton of stuff out there that, that we want to do. It's just a matter of having the time to do it correctly. 
Yeah. And and holding everything to our standards. Yeah, if we and, can make it better, you know, sometimes yeah. there's products that would be awesome to make, like a hub would be awesome to make. We think that yeah. Chris King and Industry Nine and Onyx are doing a really good job and we haven't thought of anything to do better yet. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. we have, but it's, but we don't have the time for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think um, I always try to like give ideas to things that I really want to fix that I don't want to spend any time trying to figure out how to fix. So <laughs> this is mine for you guys. Yeah. So you push it all onto us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. And I just keep pushing it on to everybody I talk to until somebody maybe bites. I don't know. <laughs> but I, with a passion, hate changing my seat on my bike like there is nothing about that two bolt system that almost every dropper or bike seat post uses that i like and i just feel like it's so frustrating to take your seat on and off yeah. that either you huh have you used the axis seat post no i haven't used that that one's, there's that a one's couple that have like a side bolt kind of thing going yeah, on yeah this one's just one bolt going through yeah that makes a replacement bolt as well and then on on the front you have a t25 that can adjust your angle but when it pulls apart, it sits up there nice and it, it goes on. That that dropper's so awesome. Like I think yeah. they kind of did a disservice naming it a reverb at first because there were issues with the first reverb. They should have right. released that seat post and ditched the reverb name because that thing is awesome. I know it's like 800 bucks, but it's a pretty Yeah, nice so thing. I mean, like if you could come out with a system that bolts on to like maybe existing ones and just makes that whole thing better, that would be worth it. For me. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a company making one where the seat angle can change. Someone, yeah, uh, I saw that one. Brought in, yeah. Who brought in that dropper? Well, and it had a really cool system. Was it the one that could adjust the seat angle? It was like, the, the system was cool because usually like when you put the seat on there, you're like fiddling with that part that, that holds yeah. it in, right? Well, this was all, you could put it all together before you put the seat on. And so it was a, it was a really cool dropper. And I, I feel bad because I'm blanking on what, what brand it was. Uh, yeah, basically that's what I'm after. I just want people to keep engineering seat design until they can make it much easier. So it sounds like there's a couple of people getting getting started, but it hasn't hit it hasn't hit like 100 percent yet. So <laughs> the seat market's funny. Just seats in general, like everybody has a different seat, you know. Yeah, it's a, you gotta find the one that works for you. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a personal preference because your buddy will be like, "Dude, this thing's awesome," and then you'll sit on it. You're like, "That's like concrete." Well, then the specialized woman's seat took off for like male riders. Oh, yeah. That's what I have on all my bikes. Everyone loves that thing. Yeah. It's super comfortable. It's a good so. seat. I have that yeah. on there. I, yeah. I have like, that on all my bikes. Yeah. <laughs> they also make that, the high end one that's like a, it's almost like it's like a spider web or something yeah. where uh, really cool technology with, I assume, injection molding yeah. uh, where it's like almost like see through, but a uh, really comfortable seat. But it's but, like crazy expensive. I've seen it, it is, for yeah. or five hundred dollars or something. Yeah, I'm hoping stuff like that comes down because I I've seen they're using that technology in other places as well. Like uh, yeah. my kids play hockey, and and the high end hockey helmets have that, where it's just like yeah. this web of padding on the inside, and yeah. it's the same thing. They're like five hundred dollars, some ridiculous price. But I would imagine because of the way that that material is shaped, that it disperses energy in a really like unique way. Yeah. So, so that's probably yeah. I'd like to see a mountain bike helmet made out made like that. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. That happens, you know. I, I think like you're gonna like what we were talking about with the different manufacturing that you know that's kind of coming to. I mean, 
who knows, you know, frames and everything could be printed that way, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing different ways to machine frames at the moment, like uh, Ministry Cycles, I think, is doing a cool, like, CNC frame, and uh, Nico Malali's doing some cool stuff with some frameworks, so, um, yeah. yeah, it's cool to see all the different, and then walking around Sea Otter, like we met Newhouse Metals, they're 3D printing certain parts of their frame, kind of the yeah. part linking it all together, so, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Were you at Sea Otter this year? Yeah, I was. Yeah, it's pretty close to me, so I usually go every year. It's, yeah, it's, um, that was our first time going as a brand, and it was. We quickly realized that we need to spend no time in our booth, and we need to be out talking to people and have our employees run the booth. But yeah, it was pretty exhausting going from like B to B to B to C conversations back and forth. I'm, I'm sure it's crazy for you as well. This year was just absolutely like nuts compared to the last few years. So it was definitely. There was a lot going on. I usually only go during the week and um, I feel for anybody that was there on the weekend because even during the week, it was like pretty. Yeah, it, pretty was, it was it was a lot. We we went home exhausted every night. It just like fell into bed and that was it. Yeah, yeah we went and but, rode that pipeline trail and came back to the house and passed out every night. So. Yeah, 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 I totally believe it. What, Man, uh, it's been two two hours already. Has it really? Wow. What uh, yeah. this, might, this might be a good way to end it. Like what do you how do you feel about people that are saying that the bike industry is is hurting or going into a recession or things like that? I keep seeing people talking about that in videos and and yeah, like like you said, like I didn't that Sea Otter was like the exact opposite. I yeah, felt. maybe we're and, just new. Like we just keep having and record we, month after record month, and we're just not like I don't seeing it, like but. I don't see it. I mean, I see bike sales. I get that, yeah. but that's kind of just a. Because I think that's people. what they're generally talking about. I think that, you know, all these companies had, nobody had a crystal ball, right? So you're selling way more product than you can manufacture. So then you like, and then also the manufacturer is not keeping up, right? So then you get in, you're, you're like, hey, we're, we're having record breaking years. Let's make as many of these, you know, widgets as we can. And then... <clears throat> But you don't know, you don't have the crystal ball because you don't know when, like, where's the peak of that wave at, right? Yeah. And I think that's what happened is you had a lot of bike companies, like, really put in huge orders. And then maybe the orders took so long and then things opened back up. And, like, some of those people that would have bought a bike six months ago aren't going to buy one now. And then, boom, they're sitting on a bunch of, of product. And But I think, generally speaking, like, I think there's a lot of new riders that weren't riders before and you know that all those people that maybe did buy a bike in 2020 it's a three-year-old bike now and they're looking at upgrading and so yeah. i mean definitely i mean i've sold a few few bikes over the last few months and i like compared to selling one during covid where it was like you could just throw any number out there and be like holy shit, that's stuck, you know? And now it's like, okay, well, that bike took three months to sell to get like what I really wanted. But um, so, I mean, I, I could see it in that aspect, but I don't, I don't think so. I would think that there's more, more buyers out there now than it was before. And I think in general with like, especially mountain biking, I just feel like it's really becoming more and more mainstream that you're, you're seeing like, you see a, a truck commercial it's got mountain bikes on it. You see, you know, where, where, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't see mountain bikes on, on pretty much any kind of, kind of commercial, unless it was like a Red Bull thing or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? So 
I think that it's definitely um, you definitely see see the market kind of changing in that aspect. You're seeing you know states, cities building infrastructures just to bring mountain bikers in. Yeah. Like you don't spend that kind of money if there's like a lull or it's like dying out, you know? And um, that's just my perspective. And maybe I'm a little bit more less pe pessimistic than, you know, the bike company that's sitting on, you know, all of last year's bikes that they can't get rid of, you know, or something like that. But yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with you. I think you're spot on with that. And, you know, one thing that we see being a small brand is like we were talking about how, how quick we can react to stuff, you know, the, the big brands, unfortunately can't, you know, when yeah. you're, you're putting in orders for a year or two down the road and, and the decision you made, the number you made is the number you made and, and there's yeah. nothing you can do about it. So, um, Hey, that's just one more thing, one more advantage to making stuff here. And yeah. so I think, I think hopefully people are seeing that like, Hey, if we support American made or North North or North American made, uh, products that that there's a big benefit down the road to that so um, yeah 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 no i totally agree with you man i i think that i think it's good to see our stuff come back to the united states for a lot of reasons you know not with get without trying to like go down the rabbit hole there too far but i think one of the things that i noticed you know during covid was how volatile we were to other countries you know decisions and if that stuff's here in the u.s then we don't have to worry about that so um to me i think that's that's a plus but i'm sure there's somebody out there arguing with me but at the end of the day it's just my opinion yeah we find a lot okay. of fun like building a team here and it's just cool driving yeah. eight minutes to work and having our team and our little bike set up on our local trails and yeah, yeah. just kind of, kind of enjoy doing it here I think it's super rad, man. You build a company and you 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 can see the effects of what that company does right in front of you by the people who come to work and like have food on their table because of that. And um, the products that you sell that you go out and see like the people in your neighborhood using. And I think that that to me is like I feel like that's a super fulfilling thing and that I'm stoked that you guys are doing that, man. So appreciate it. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely appreciate you guys hanging out with me for two hours too, and and talking about bolts and and racks and all the other things that we talked about. Like honestly, if if anybody listening hasn't checked out BetterBolts.com or FreedomCoast.net, go check them out for sure. They also have the uh, Instagram, the Facebook kind of stuff, and there's some YouTube presence in there. So if you're on YouTube and you're watching, go swing by, give them a subscribe, and they're going to be working on some new um, content as what they said earlier. So keep an eye on that i always like to ask people what uh youtube channels they like to watch just out of curiosity not doesn't have to do anything with bikes but sometimes you find some uh some gems what do you, what do you got thomas yeah i like the like seth bike hacks um we watch like mo and hannah stuff just because it's local we have another another uh guy in the area tommy when he owns like a local yeah. restaurant and goes and just absolutely sends it down some trails so it's kind of yeah, fun to watch your trails like ridden in a different way um yeah yeah, so those are kind of kind of the ones I watch. And then whenever I want to learn something, um, like I'll hop on and you know watch some YouTube content that way. Go through like beginner courses from a couple different people and yeah. kind of get a good taste of how to jump into a new hobby or you know musical yeah. instrument or whatever that might be. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I totally learned how to use Autodesk Fusion that way. So <laughs> yeah, I really like the, the Fox Dialed series. 
that's a uh-huh. really cool series to me just watching them i think like for most people like i'm not i don't have like intricate knowledge of of what to do when my fork feels a certain way or whatever and it's really cool seeing people that are so good at what they do and being yeah. able to help people and i really like watching writers that are better than me yeah. you know what i mean like there's a lot of cool people who put out really good content uh who are maybe like not the best writer or maybe like similar to as a as a writer as me and i really appreciate the people who are really good writers and still putting out uh the, the content and 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 kind of helping to push the industry forward and you know in yeah. a way like that's kind of the new like tv show right like nobody watches yeah. tv everyone watches this stuff so like, yeah. like the guys like remy and the, and those guys who put out good content for us on a regular basis is really appreciated yeah, yeah and also at that you know super top level as well so it's definitely fun to watch well, I appreciate, man. I really do having you guys on. It was super fun chatting. And like I said to everybody out there, go ahead and take a look at their websites, betterbolts.com and freedomcoast.net. And um, if you don't want to do any of that and you just want to get away with something for free, just remember, it only takes a bike to be a biker. Get out and be one. <laughs>